Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Bergwall. He's an elder in training, and uh, he preached for us a few weeks ago, and I'm excited to have him preaching for us again. Dear God, thank you for your thoughts and your words. They're the only ones that have any life in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I guess I'm a literalist. Um, it's hard for me to say certain words without meaning it. I'd rather be quiet. I can't casually ask you how you are if I don't really want to know. I deal with people in my day job on the phone and, and some of them will ask me how I am. And I answer them. And I'll throw a certain percentage of these off because they're two sentences into what they want. And then they stop. Excuse me, what did you say? I said I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. They didn't seem to know they had asked. The Lord's Prayer falls into this category for me. I can't sail through it mechanically by rote without at least attempting some intentionality. I've been in churches where the words sound something akin to the Pledge of Allegiance, a string of words we're just trying to get over with. But I've wrestled with this prayer, trying to figure out what in the world am I praying with these few words. Oh, and that's another thing. Why are there so few words? Jesus' friends asked him, teach us to pray? And this is all he says? Unless giving us so few words is indicating that prayer is not about talking. The night before he was killed, Jesus said to the guys that had been hanging out with him for three years, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. When I think of my few best friend experiences over seven decades, I realize that they were not first and foremost about words. Endless strings of words get tiresome don't they? Is anyone else like me in here at a gathering where someone's talking too much? You kind of tune them out, don't you? The Gospels tell us that Jesus spent all night going off and praying with his father. Do you think he just kept saying these words over and over and over again? What if this brief prayer is brief, because prayer is more about presence than talking. Who else ever had that eureka moment where you find yourself suddenly sitting silently with an acquaintance because you've run out of topics? And it's okay. Wow. Could it be that we become friends 
that a relationship is not based on topics, but on proximity, companionship. God desires my companionship. He desires your companionship. No less than that father in the story desired companionship with his two sons, the angry one at home and the rebel. Certain Bible verses begin to make more sense. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Habakkuk, let all the earth keep silent before him. Job's friends, before they each stuck their foot in their mouth, sat with him for a week in silence because their presence provided what was needed most. Oh, I better get to my three points. Okay, our section this morning is um, Your Kingdom Come, Your Will Be Done on Earth as it is in Heaven. Point number one, pronouns have a punch. Yes, they're small, bland, unassuming words. But boy, can they pack a wallop. Any parent like me remember that other eureka moment when your second kid reaches a certain age where they haplessly reach for the toy of their older sibling. And those two words, piercing, come ricocheting off all the walls in your home. That's mine. <laughs> what war in human history did not start with pronouns? That's mine. No, it's not. It's mine. There'd be fewer commandments than ten if there were no pronouns. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't cut. Would not exist. How many divorces begin and end with pronouns? You versus me. Yours versus mine. There was a pronoun two weeks ago that hit me upside the soul. Stephen preached on the first phrases of this prayer, and our hit me in a new way. Call me dense, but I had never gotten this sense so clear before. Yes, I know that all the pronouns in this prayer are plural, I get that. But I had only thought of us and ours on a horizontal plane, two weeks plane. Two weeks ago, I realized that Jesus himself is inviting me to address his father as my father along with him. Our father? You mean that father? The one that Jesus talks about and interacts with during his entire earthly ministry? The father who called him my beloved son? Does that mean that God is calling me, Jim, 
my beloved son? Wow. Thank you, Stephen. I don't think I have ever felt so enfolded into the immediate family of Jesus. Today's pronoun is a different one. It's your. Yikes. Could there be a less appealing pronoun for our me, myself, and I culture today? I'm anorexic when it comes to consuming culture, so you'll have to help me here. But it seems to me that the most prevalent use of this pronoun today, your, is followed by the word fault. I'm not a historian, so I was frankly amazed that there have been a handful of cultures in world history that have survived for millennia. Really? Now, I know they didn't do that by being kind, but I also know they didn't do that by being a me, myself, and I culture. More and more, our me, myself, and I culture feels like a culture gone wild. Now, even my personal Preferences can become the rule of the land. That sorry refrain from the book of Judges seems more and more our motto these days. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But this is nothing new. This is just our plain old desperately wicked heart. That's all, vaunting itself, refusing to obey and love God with all that we are and our neighbors as ourselves. I mean, how many of my supplications or petitions to God each day involve pronouns like me, my, my, or in a good day, they, there, theirs. But how often you, your, yours. In this brief section of our, our text today, your is repeated twice. You're this and you're that. It's important to pause here because the scripture defines itself as the spirit-breathed words of the Almighty. God never has to repeat himself. He did not say, let there be light. I said, let there be light. No, because his word is of perfect power. His word does not return to him void empty or pointless. It always accomplishes its purpose. So whenever God does repeat himself in the scripture, he's doing it on purpose. <coughs> so we should prick up our ears. God's doing it, I think, as a mercy. He's repeating 
He's underscoring. So we know that this state, this event, is really not messing around. Now true, God doesn't mess around, although he does have an incredible sense of humor. But twice told things in scripture may be twice as important for us to hear. Case in point, Joseph tells Pharaoh, the reason you dream these two similar dreams about the the uh, starving cattle swallowing the fat cattle and the, the uh, emaciated corn on the cob uh, swallowing the juicy corn on the cob. And, and Joseph says this because this matter is firmly established by God. In our private time with the Word, if we have private time in the Word, it's important for us to be on the lookout for things that are repeated. Events happening twice. For example, the miraculous catch of fish bookending the ministry of Jesus, or the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Take note whenever something is repeated in scripture. In our phrase today, Jesus tells us, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not that it won't. Of course God's will will be done. But perhaps a rep repetition is like a mallet hitting a wooden peg. Sending the fact deeper into our consciousness for our good and his kingdom's good. Point number two. Our love-hate relationship with monarchs. As if using the pronoun your is not radical enough for our, our culture, what are we supposed to ask for? No thank you. <laughs> your kingdom coming implies your kingship, your rule be recognized and revered. Sorry, that throne's already fully occupied in my life. Thank you, anyway. And then, not only your kingdom come, but your will be done. Worse and worse, of course not. My will be done. Remember, this is a me, my, self culture. Has there ever been a day in my life or yours when we did not, in effect, say this to God? With our thoughts, our actions. Thank you. Father, for the mechanism of confession, forgive us our sins. That will be another Sunday. Are there any sadder sentences than these in Holy Scripture? I'm sure there are, but these come pretty close. God is speaking to his right-hand human Samuel at one point. 1 Samuel 8-7. God says, Obey the voice of the people in all they say to you. But they have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me from being king. 
We humans are kidding ourselves if we don't yet realize that due to how we're wired, we are always going to pay something obeisance, something or someone. The serpent tricked Eve and Adam, promising that they'd be like God on his level, queens and kings in their own right. Ah, that was a laugh. The principalities and powers that Paul talks about in Ephesians must have had a heyday when they took that bait. Of course, the empty one meant that it would rule them. And it has ruled ever since. Paul writes, the devil who rules this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So if repeating your kingdom come, your will be done does anything, it reminds us that someone or something else is on the throne of our lives that will have to be booted off in order for this petition to ever become a reality. True, we have different compartments in our soul's house, so to speak, don't we? just like we do in our actual houses, rooms prepared and presentable to guests, and ones that are not, and others that may be completely off limits to everyone for one reason or another. A possible spiritual exercise for the remaining two weeks of this series on the Lord's Prayer could be to invite the Spirit of the Lord by faith on a daily tour of the various rooms. Friendship, money, internet, career, aspirations, regrets, dreams, griefs, fantasies, health, love life, family, children, addictions, your covenant, membership here at Liberty, etc. See what doors feel easy to open, into which it's easy for you to say, your kingdom come, your will be done, welcome. And in what rooms do they get stuck in your mouth? And keep going, Good practice. I promise you, as someone who's done this for a while, that though hard and even agonizing at first, whether repugnant, shameful, or terrifying, daily inviting God's presence into each room, I can't tell you how, but it will alter things eventually for the good, for the very good. Point number three. What if heaven on earth is God's whole point? I mean, who wouldn't want heaven on earth? Apparently us, we don't. Or Jesus would not have asked us to pray for it on earth as it is in heaven. 
why wouldn't I want heaven on earth? Because I'm in the process of being hoodwinked. How could this be? Easy. Because I have and do not set my mind on things above on any regular basis. I can't speak for you. In fact, I major in dedicating my mind to the opposite, the things of this world. And my phone dutifully sends me a report. Interesting, the report arrives on Sunday morning while I'm sitting here of all times, worshiping in this room. And it lets me know my average daily screen time and then, encouragingly or disparagingly, tells me I'm up or down X percentage from the week before. What could better demonstrate, while I'm sitting at worship, how out of whack my time spent on things of this world is compared to time spent treating God as if he's real and not pretend. Yikes, what's my average daily usage? How could my hours with him and his holy word ever begin to compete with the gobs of time I spend cuddling up to the spirit of this age? Trust me, the spirit of this age will never prompt you to say, your kingdom come to God. Why? Because the spirit of this age loathes and dreads God's kingdom. And is in the process right now, this morning as we sit here, of doing all in its power to get me and you to also loathe and dread it. Wait, but what else have we heard from this pulpit on heaven as it is on earth? We heard heaven and earth touching, didn't we? Remember John's sermon series, what was it, two years ago? Every time we worship, heaven touches earth. What if this phrase in the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven is God's whole point? I mean, it almost could be a subtitle for the Bible, on earth as it is in heaven. All the way from Eden in Genesis to Revelation where all things will be made new. God has been working his good for all time and through all Holy Scripture. Read it for yourself. God regularly barges into human experience, interrupting, interposing, impinging himself, interacting, involved. Any deist must never have opened the scriptures. God is not distant and remote. Counseling Cain, who's crouching at the door, shutting the door of the ark, calling Abraham, seeing Hagar and Ishmael, stopping Abraham's knife, wrestling with Jacob, burning in a bush that doesn't burn up to Moses, the pillar of cloud by day, the fire by night, the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, 
the inability of Solomon to even step into the new temple because it's so full of the Holy Spirit, he can't move. On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, God himself, in human flesh, on earth as it is in heaven. The Holy Spirit on Pentecost, on earth as it is in heaven. When we're together for a couple of hours like this on Sunday, when we meet in the name of Christ at home groups or at prayer meetings, Jesus promised where two or three are gathered there, I will be on earth as it is in heaven. But God's not only on earth as it is in heaven then, he's on earth as it is in heaven in every one of his children all the time. Anyone who has come in repentance, turning away from a regular dependence on sin and in now in a completely different direction. In humility, we accept or we try to accept God's rule in our life. By faith, we accept the gift, the offer through Christ to entrust our daily lives to someone we cannot see. Our entire destinies without them. And this word does become a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. If we will only open it. Do we do this perfectly? No. Not in this lifetime. But as God said to Paul and still says to every one of us today, my grace is sufficient. Grace means favor I don't deserve. I can't earn it. I'll never qualify for it in any way, shape, or form. What does Titus 3 say? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Since worship is always possible, since heaven is always touching earth in us through the Holy Spirit who lives within us, certain verses beginning to make sense uh, that never made sense before, like um, seek my face continually, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will concerning you. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, counted all joy, and so on and so forth. Do we pray at all times? No, we don't. Some of us still sin more than we pray. Is the spirit of the living God grieved in us? Yes. I'm sure he was grieved in my life this past week. 
Does he up and take off? No, he does not up and take off. So I challenge you, I challenge myself to open the Bible, trace the continuing line of humans with whom God has had to do. Go through Paul's letters. In fact, go right out of the Bible on the other end and go into early church history. And you'll see this gospel spreading the world over on earth as it is in heaven. But I, I'm going to stop now, but don't, don't you stop. Open your Bible. They're all there on earth as it is in heaven. The people that God has had to do with. They form a long line through time that leads directly to you and me this morning. You and me at Liberty River Woods, having just spent months assessing who we are and then re-envisioning who the Lord might be making us. About to form a pastoral search team. About to rehab our very own building on earth as it is in heaven on that new corner of Lehigh Avenue. God has never stopped pursuing the company of human beings. We at Liberty are a continuation of those people God is pursuing on earth as it is in heaven. Neither his purpose nor his unquenchable love for creation or us through Jesus Christ is messing around. Why don't you and I covenant to not mess around? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.